Mm-hmm. Cool beans. So, Kate Hook from Futuring Orange, welcome to Community Drive today. Hi, Liam. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good. Now, Futuring Orange has been campaigning for some time to have the Bloomfield Sporting Complex remained as is and even turned into a public park. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I, I, not just a public park, but um, a public, public park that can do events and um, really be a source of economic activity for the town as well as an open um, natural space that people could go to. Mm, so, given that, and um, the council on Monday night has voted 10 to 1 to turn it into a sporting complex, what was your yes. personal reaction to that? I just felt it was... Um, a, a, the, 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 I mean, you all, you, we all know the song um, with the line, you know, don't it always seem to go, you don't know what, it's got, what you've got till it's gone. Um, yeah. it's, I, felt, I feel like that is what the town of Orange is going to learn. We, we won't know what, it, what we had. Um, until we see it gone. And, and over the course of trying to research this topic and speak to the heads of various government departments about it and seek expertise on it, um, we really came to an understanding of, of what we have there. And um, what we have is something that other towns and cities all across Australia are scrambling to get, um, which is a vast expanse of natural space full of cool, shady trees, and, and really what's there at the moment is just the bare bones. So it's just kind of the beginning of, of what it could be. Um, what we've got is, as I said before, a, a source of amazing economic activity. We had um, a meeting in town at one um, night when all sorts of um, entrepreneurial business minds got together and talked about how they would use um, such a space for things like open-air cinemas, food, uh, food week events, um, music festivals, film festivals, all these sorts of things that, that are not only great for Orange culturally and socially, but, um, you know, a, a great source of economic activity. Um, and, and also what we, what we found is, um, in talking to urban planning experts, is we've got um, a real treasure there in terms of a cool space um, and a cool microclimate. And it was really interesting, Liam, that on the actual day of the meeting when, um, when the council voted against this in, uh, in the USA, in Portland, Oregon, there was all over the news this massive heat wave where people were getting taken to hospital um, with heat stress and, and all sorts of mm. heat-related things. And they were using public parks to, um, to put people, to keep them safe from the heat. And it was just really interesting that that happened on the day because we brought one of Australia's leading urban planners to Orange and she walked across the site and she said, this is an irreplaceable asset. And she talked about that urban designers all across the world now are talking about that heat in the coming decades, heat will be the biggest killer. So it's actually a public health asset as well that we have in a shady parkland. Absolutely. So would it be useful, I suppose, to run through this council's environmental track record so far? So just repeat that, Liam. I'm just wondering, would it be useful to run through the council's environmental track record from Futuring Orange's perspective? Um, look, I mean, the council has done a lot of great things, uh, you know, over the years and, and decades in, in Orange. We have beautiful parks and gardens and uh, and things like that. But I think in, in this particular instance, it was um, it was an interesting uh, procedural thing. The, the way it all came about, uh, the, the decision to switch sites from the original site that the council had for this to Bloomfield was just done in a council meeting. Um, there was, you know, not a public forum where, you know, different members of the public could come and um, speak about that decision. And importantly, there wasn't consultation with some of the major stakeholders like the hospital, which is the nearest neighbour to the whole facility. Um, and that's a big one. I mean, from an urban planning point of view, that is a huge one mm. because um, they are very concerned. The doctors have, um, have been quite vocal about... Um, 
the risk to human lives that can happen if um, the two single road accesses to the hospital become at all congested, uh, congested because um, specialists have to come from home to, um, to treat patients. But then from, from a sort of longer term perspective, and that's what Futuring Orange is about, we're about sort of looking decades ahead, um, you know, orange is growing at such a rate and with our hospital being a catchment area for such a huge um, part of this region, um, it's, it's very likely that, that the hospital will need to expand. Um, and and that's a, that, that is, as I said, a huge um, urban planning issue. And I, I know there's an example with Toowoomba uh, where they, they had a hospital similar, similar size to Orange and then because the town was growing they had to build a second hospital uh, and, and it, was, it had to be in a different location because um, there wasn't enough room to put it, at the, to co-locate it. And then some years later they've had to demolish the two of them so that they can rebuild and amalgamate the two hospitals into one because it's so much more efficient. Mm. But that's cost $2.6 billion. Um, and, and this is the kind of um, urban planning considerations that, that um, have not been done in, in this um, consideration of this sports precinct because that whole green belt around the hospital, um, I mean, it's, it, it, it's precious, as, as I said, as a natural resource, but also there's space there that um, needs to be considered for further expansion. Right, all right. So take you to the council meeting. You, um, the actual proposal was split into three separate proposals. Yeah. Could you explain what that means for the planning process from a state perspective? Yeah, that makes it really tricky, actually, because um, it, it means that, I mean, it's kind of illogical in the first instance, because if you think about it, we're, we're looking for a DA that was just about removing trees, and, and the council was quite um, adamant about that initially um, for submissions, I was saying, you know, we, we, we will only consider submissions that talk about the DA being for the removal of trees, but, but obviously that was for a purpose that everybody knew about. Um, so it just was a source of confusion for people really to say, you know, can we talk about this, can we not talk about that? It sort of was artificially separating off um, that, that procedure from the rest of it. But also what that means is that um, for such a small pro project, council could be both the applicant and the consenting authority. Um, on that on that particular part of the DA, um, whereas if it had have all been done together, it's a much larger um, planning issue, and so then it goes to state planning rather than um, local council, and I think is subject to a lot more scrutiny, and I think certainly the hospital um, would have been able to have a, a lot more of input into the, the long-term decision-making process. Right, so effectively the council have made themselves the judge and jury by saying, by breaking it down into these smaller parts, they've been able to... Uh, say that effectively yeah. being their own sort of check and balance in this instance. Yeah, exactly right. Which you know, um, the councils do do that. You know, because we have brought that up as um, an issue with um, you know the Department of Regional New South Wales who, who are giving the grant funding for this. Um, and yeah, it's it's known that that's an issue, but um, it's also been pointed out um, by you know the New South Wales Ombudsman, for example, that it's not ideal. And um, you know, it, it legally it um, it. it it's, it's got some holes in it. Yes. Now, Regkid has spoken to Tim Williams this morning. He did make the case for the economic benefits are to Orange as a result of this. Mm. And given that uh, the voices uh, like yours and the voices spruiking these economic developments were given equal weighting at Monday mm. night's council meeting and then the councillors voted 10 to 1, yeah. the, the economic benefits must be pretty persuasive for the long-term 
of yeah, Orange. I think, I think what the issue was is that most, most councils had made up their mind on this issue up to 18 months ago. I, they, I mean, a lot of them said, you know, I'll keep an open mind and whatever, but I know when I, when I, when I spoke individually to people, they, they sort of knew what their position was. And we, we had a couple of instances over um, the months when we were bringing in various experts to, um, to sort of talk about things uh, pertaining to this, and, and we invited particular councillors and um, and uh, and uh, we we had sort of responses. I won't mention names, but we had you know responses from time to time like, "No thanks, not interested," uh, or, uh, "Look, I know what I want and I know where I want it." So I think that's pretty much mine's made up. I see. Um, but but no, it's interesting that you say the the waiting, you know, five and five, um, because. With the submissions that uh, were were received for this DA, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, normally for DAs, 25 or more submissions is considered a controversial um, DA. And for this particular one, 177 submissions were received. So that's uh, absolutely um, outstanding. And uh, of those, 89% were opposed. Well, that's absolutely. The issue really has struck a chord with the Orange community. And we've also seen that with the petition that um, Futuring Orange put up on the change.org website. Could you tell yeah. us a bit about that? Yeah, so, so we wanted to really use that as a way to put down in, in point form, because uh, in the petition you can um, put some details, what the various um, concerns were. And actually, going back to your point about economics, that was a key issue for that was to say, this is not about saying no to anything. It's about saying both. Let's have both forms of economic activity for Orange. So yes, we think a stadium would be fantastic and you know, what a gift to Orange that 25 million is, so let's do that. But let's do it in a location where we don't have to wipe out another significant um, potential form of economic activity, which is what we've identified um, this pathland to be. And even you know, when you look at the 513 trees that they're about to wipe out, there's an internationally recognised tool for putting a dollar value on trees because it's just known uh, the value that they give to a, an area, a town, in terms of keeping moisture in the soil, having having healthy soils, um, cooler spaces, um, all that sort of thing. And um, the, the minimum, for example, the city of Melbourne has as a minimum $8,000 per tree, and if the tree is bigger and um, you know more shady or whatever, that, that dollar value goes up. But even if you look at the at the minimum eight thousand dollars, it means that we're clearing about four and a half million dollars worth of trees out of that site. Mm. Um, and it was interesting at the meeting that <coughs> one of the councillors brought up that <coughs> the reason they were, um, uh, you know, abandoning the original site was that it was going to cost about five million dollars more to um, to locate the facility there. Um, and yet, you know, if you do a cost benefit analysis, we're we're sort of starting from negative five million dollars um, on this current um, uh, current where they voted to, to do the precinct at Bloomfield. Mm. So it does raise an interesting question then about the the role of community organisations. There has been, as you said, an 89% work um, activist sort of... Apologies, I'll start that again. Mm. So it does raise an interesting question about the role of community organisations within council decision-making, 89%, as you said, uh, writing against the, mm. uh, the proposal. I just want, want your perspective... What are um, the council's competing interests on these on these sort of matters? Why, where does the community fit in within their priorities? Well, I think the community has to fit in a little bit more than it did in this particular procedure. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learnt on both sides. Actually, we've certainly learnt a lot of lessons, and you know, if we had our time again, we would do some things <coughs> differently. Well, could you expand on that? What would you have um, wanted to do? Well, now I know that um, it came down to, in the end, um, a group of 11 people around a table being able to make this decision that changes Orange forever. And that's kind of an unfair situation to put councillors in because 
they are not expert urban planners. They are not, um, you know, expected to have any expertise about, you know, the, the climate ramifications of what they're doing. Um, they are people who are busy and do jobs and, and whatever. And so they are relying on um, just the information that comes from, from council staff. And, and that information comes from, you know, in this case, a local consultant who um, did the whole... Um, the whole range of, um, of work for this DA. But none of that work is the kind of urban planning that I'm talking about, where you bring together massive stakeholders like the hospital, like the university in town and other things, and, and try to look, look ahead to w what's going to happen with those big institutions in 10 to 20 years. Um, it's that kind of urban planning that if you, if you go there first, before making such a, a massive change to a community, um, you can avoid some of those situations like Toowoomba found itself in, as I mentioned before, where they had to mm. demolish two hospitals um, in, and, and amalgamate a new one um, because the, the initial one was in too small a space. It was, um, it was sort of locked in um, by the planning at the time. Absolutely. Um, so, sorry, back to your point about um, community organisations. Yeah, I think we as a community have felt a bit at arm's reach in this process. Um, when those submissions went in, they went in on the 5th of February, and we were checking in from time to time how many, you know, how to go, how many for, how many against, and that information only came out a week before this meeting. Um, that was the first that we knew that, that only 14 out of the 177 submissions were in favour. Um, and, and I think that's, that, that, that's information that the general public should have been able to have access to. Um, and also, you know, from our point of view and, and our learning is um, that I guess we would have tried to insist more <laughs> that, that council um, benefited from a lot of the expertise that we were, we were accessing independently. I mean, we, we sourced, you know, the, Australia's top... Um, regional and urban planner from um, University of Canberra, and she she came up twice to Orange, and and had you know such important information to give us. Um, in terms of the council's plan to um, replant three trees for every tree that they take out, um, we ended up being able to communicate with um, Professor Will Stephan, who's one of the leading authorities on climate change in Australia, and he said, look from. Um, you know, the reason you worry about cutting down trees is because it releases carbon into the atmosphere. And so, you know, offsetting is a thing that people do. But actually, from a climate change point of view, we only have 10 years, we only have this decade to meet this challenge um, before we push, we tip things too far the other way and, and things get out of control. So he said, you know, replanting after you've taken out mature trees that are already doing the job of, you know, sucking in carbon actually just doesn't work because they won't be doing the job within this decade that we need trees to do within this decade. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. And I'm just yeah. astonished that a community organisation is essentially put in this position that they are contacting professors and advisors. Yeah. Does it, yeah. Does it point to a need for some sort of um, wider... No, I'm trying not to say opposition here, but just a... Um, a, a, a check and balance, I suppose, within the local government process that's beyond the councils themselves. I think I think it definitely does. Um, I, I think when I think that the reason that the council was able to artificially segment this much um, work and then become both the applicant and the consenting authority was because it was less than $5 million worth of work. And, and maybe that's a flaw in the system because when we were speaking, and we ended up being able to speak to like, the executive directors of various um, government departments, all of those departments have policies going in the complete opposite direction to what's happening here in Orange. So all of 
you know, we spoke to the Executive Director of Public Spaces, Dr Caroline Bowden-Butler, Butler Bowden. Um, we spoke to the Commissioner of Crown Lands, um, uh, Dr Andrew Bush, and all of those, was it Richard Bush? Uh, all of those um, policies in those areas are around enhancing public spaces and, um, and tree field spaces and protecting the, the tree canopy that we have. Um, and, and, and yet, when we, when we tried to get state government to sort of intervene and say, look, this is going against all of our policies, um, from, a, from a process point of view, they said, look, we can't because it's, it's a council, it, it's a council um, issue because they're the consenting authority, so you're just going to have to convince your council. And then, as I said to you, that's a problem because then it comes down to individual personalities and, and sometimes even ideologies. There was, there was one councillor that I you know, had a long 40-minute chat with um, during which time, you know, when I was mentioning the, uh, the, the climate change issue of the trees, um, you know, he spent a good 10 minutes trying to convince me that climate change wasn't real. <laughs> I see, I see. Well, so, that, so that's the problem that you have, is that you have people who are not experts being put in this difficult position where they're going to have to make a decision that, that they have to live with, you know, they, and I think that's really unfair. They, if this is as big a disaster as I think it's going to be, they have to live with that, and that's not really fair on them. Well, I'd, l- I'd like to turn to the future of Futuring Orange, mm. if that's not an oxymoron. Um, what? <laughs> oh, excuse me, that's Sorry, incredibly yeah. rude. Sorry, I didn't mean that word at all. Um, my apologies. Um, so I'd like to turn to the future of Futuring Orange. What, what are you guys looking in store for the future? Well, I think on this one, um, it's. It, it, I, I hate to say it, but I think that we've, we've lost this one. It's, it's always going to be a source of grief for for all the hundreds of people who could see what a huge mistake this is going to be. But to fight it any further um, is going to be hugely expensive and as a community organisation we're not resourced to do that. Uh, uh, so I think where we go from here is, and what we started already this process with um, the professor that we bought from Canberra is starting to look at a 30-year plan for Orange, and minimum 30, maybe 30, 40, 50, but looking long-term ahead and, and bringing in all sorts of different... Um, key players in the community. Um, you know, I was just talking to some people at the Aboriginal Lands Council this morning. Um, they should have been part of this discussion, um, as well as the hospital, as well as the university, as well as um, the business council. And, um, and you know, we did have conversations. With, we did. The community had conversations with all those organisations, but they felt they hadn't been consulted um, by the council on this issue. So, um, yeah, so I think we... I mean, we, and we need to collaborate with council. Um, there is a council election coming up in September, so whether or not it's going to be the same um, group after September or not, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we really do want to be um, just in, uh, being a voice for the community, letting more people in the community have a say about what is going to matter to them in the future. And also um, a big part of our role, and, and we were doing this a lot before COVID, is education, because education is the key. Um, if people understand you know, that urban planning issues really matter. If people understand that, you know, climate change is a thing that we have to protect people from in the future, um, then it, it makes all those decisions um, a little bit easier for people to understand and, um, and it just puts us on the right path. Well, Kate Hook, really interesting to get your thoughts today. Thank you so much for joining us here on Community Drive. Yeah, lovely. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. See you.